Hi, welcome to the Emil Barna podcast. This is episode zero, where I'll be giving you a rundown on why you should even listen to me. And there are so many other podcasts out there that you can get your hands on that talk about self-development and research-backed methods for improvement. Well, today I would invite you to sit back, relax, or if you're just throwing on a set of headphones and sit out for a run or working out or whatever the hell you're doing right now, just keep on doing that. And let me walk you through what I'm all about. In this podcast, I'm going to be putting together a whole bunch of interviews, uh, picking people's brains on why humans are the way that we are. I'm a psychotherapist and that is what gets me going. I want to figure out how to best understand myself and understand other people. And so I want to make sure that I'm interviewing the best of the best and uh, talking about the quirks that makes humans humans. And when I'm not conducting interviews, I'll be putting together a whole bunch of content that draws from my own areas of expertise, essentially through psychology, psychotherapy, counseling, uh, science, neuroscience, things like philosophy and social commentary or cultural uh, discussions, uh, and even a bit of opinion pieces. But just rest assured, whenever I do anything that I that kind of strays out of my area of uh, area of expertise, I'll be quick to tell you that. Who the hell am I? You know, why should you even listen to me? Why should you even listen to this podcast? Long and short of it, I'm a child of immigrant parents who came into Australia in 1987. In fact, they moved into Melbourne and my dad never tired of telling me that God has put me into this place for, okay, I'm going to stop doing that particular um, accent. (laughs) He's not Russian. Uh, He's a Romanian. So I am a child of Romanian immigrant parents who migrated here in 1987. My dad would always tell me that God put me from the worst place on earth to the best, the most livable city on earth. And in fact, that's uh, probably the case because my parents grew up in communist Romania, the dictatorship under Nicolae Ceausescu, which if you scroll into YouTube, unless they've taken it off already, you can actually see the army bring uh, Ceausescu and his wife to the firing squad because of the tyranny that they reigned during the time that my parents were living there. My mum was granted a visa and she came to Australia a lot earlier, about a year before my dad uh, was granted a visa. And it wasn't an easy road. My dad had to cross the borders in the dead of night with one loaf of bread and barely any water with a couple of his friends without even telling his parents, crossing fields in Romania, hiding in bushels, uh, hoping not to be seen by anybody because at that time, well, it was uh, life or death if somebody spotted you. If the border security or the army with their dogs spotted you, you were dead meat. And quite literally, uh, people would be fed to dogs. And there were various stories going on where uh, people in my dad's village were ripped apart by dogs or shot in the Danube River. So that's the kind of anxiety that my dad was uh, living with. And having to cross over from the Romanian border into Serbia 
uh, through a, uh, a wire fence which had been crossed many, many times and avoiding the patrols as they could. That was, that was tough. I mean, it had a, had a big impact on my dad, but he didn't. I mean, he moved from Romania all the way to, to Serbia, crossed into that country. Uh, in Serbia, he was taken uh, through to Austria. And so he made the trip into Austria under, under a mountain, a tunnel under the mountain. And had to dodge cars there, so if, if they were spotted, they would have to run on the side bank or the embankment on the side of the road and hide there until the cars, you know, ran past. Uh, and then they had to sprint through a mountain tunnel on foot into Austria. And this this was over time. I mean, it wasn't you know jump straight from Romania to Serbia to Austria, but he was. He was captured in Austria and put into a detention camp for, I think, something like seven months. And then finally, after working and earning some money uh, in whatever way that he could, he was granted a visa to come to Australia. So that's a little bit of my my parents' background in coming into this country. And we were all born here. My mum was pregnant with my eldest brother at the time. and. He was actually born before my father arrived to Australia. And then you know, they had four children. I'm the third uh, child. And I was born in 1990. So I, I often do this with my clients uh, as, a, as a therapist. I ask them, well, what? give me a bit of a rundown on you. Explain who you are in just a few minutes from birth to, to right now. And so I'll do my best to, to do something like that. Uh, born in 1990, I grew up uh, under the tutelage of my parents who were highly religious uh, uh, people. In fact, my father uh, waited for a dream uh, from, from God, which came out of a prophecy, he tells me, uh, that they would tell him, that God would tell him when to cross the border. And so he told me this not, not too long ago. But yeah, that kind of came out in their their way that they raised their kids. And so I went to church five hours every single Sunday. Uh, it's a three hours in the morning, two hours at night. I was uh, you know, hiding under the chairs, picking at uh, chewing gum <laughs> underneath those chairs and uh, doing drawings and doing all that sort of stuff. It bored me to tears, but uh, that's my that's my upbringing and doing Sunday school and that sort of stuff. I was a pretty active kid. Uh, to be honest, I got into a lot of trouble when I was uh, in primary school. Uh, right now, looking back at it, I would have had significant traits of ADHD and not being able to sit still or pay attention. Even now, I have quite a lot of traits that get me in trouble with my wife, my kids, uh, not being able to remember a whole bunch of stuff. Not because I'm not that good at remembering, but more because I don't pay as much attention as I could. So that's a bit of a rundown on, on that one. But growing up in primary school, uh, it was fairly average. I mean, if I were to dissect it much now, it's not the time to dissect that. But um, pushing forward into high school, I was the only, the only kid who got into a high school that had none of my primary school friends in it. And this high school, I only stayed out for, for one year. 
as a kid, I loved to write and I loved to read or more like listen to stories. I would go through Enid Blyton's Famous Five, Secret Seven. I used to love, uh, you know, reading Tintin and Asterix and those, those types of books. Biggles was a favorite of mine and uh, Ancient Egypt, I loved history and that still carries it today. And I do a lot of writing, a lot of reading and um, also a lot of listening these days. In fact, uh, as a sidestep, 10 years ago, I started to listen to podcasts and I always thought, hey, it'd be really good to create my own podcast one day. And here I am sharing it today with you. So to, to jump back into uh, where, I, where I left off, as a, as a high school kid, I, I guess the, the thing that set me apart is I was always... I mean, I would only be able to pay attention to things that interested me. And whenever you got me in the mood where I was super interested in something, I would excel. In year seven, I wrote a book about the pharaoh. And I can't remember what it was. I think it was called The Pharaoh. And it was a bit of a, you know, probably like 10 pages of handwritten uh, story in cursive that was scattered with pictures. <laughs> and what happened at the time is I told my English teacher, hey, I- I've read a book. And she's like, oh, she was quite a hippie uh, teacher. And I still remember the way she looked like now, you know, red lipstick, a pretty drawn out face with uh, messy golden uh, blonde hair. And she would always wear want to just say traditional hippie gear, but just really, I can't even know. I can't even explain, but you probably got the picture. Uh, she would be like, hey, read it in front of the class. Great. Um, I'm like, All right, let's do this. So jumping out in front of the class, I start to read what I'd written. And it was about the Nubian army jumping in to uh, attack Egypt. And at that time, I was really into blood and guts and still am to some extent. Those are the type of stories and movies that captivate me the most. Uh, And then I just started uh, reciting all that I'd written with decapitations and people getting chopped into bits and armies coming at each other. I remember seeing her face and her eyes started to slowly get wider and wider and wider until I think she stopped me short of the, the time that I that I had to, to close, but needless to say, she never asked me to read anything out again. Uh, this gives you a bit of an insight in where I've come from and what gets me going and what interests me, and that's where I, where I come from this. Uh, that type of interest continued on until I became an adolescent, a teen, where I try to establish myself through brute force, so to speak. I was really interested in that gang culture. Uh, Scarface was my favorite movie growing up. And, you know, I always wanted to kind of draw towards that side of things. So I spent, spent most of my time, uh, I guess, establishing that side of me, um, so to speak. Now I listened to a lot of rap. I loved Eminem, loved Tupac, loved Biggie. I loved the old school the old school rappers and and I would get into a lot of fights growing up now so much so that I was half expelled from school now but not so much I mean I was told uh, I got into a, a number of fights at school and I dropped out of school in year 10 because of a 
really serious fight that I got into that dragged my entire family uh, into court. And I'm not, I mean, today's not the place to go into that one, uh, but needless to say, I got a youth detention or youth justice order, which got me seeing a social worker for probably over a year and a good behavior bond after that one. And so dropping out of school in year 10, I was 15, 16, can't remember what it was. And so I, I did a month in, in a plumbing, uh, kind of like a pre-apprenticeship type thing, but it was more like a trial, which I hated. I remember waking up before going to bed and punching the bed head because I hated going to work. Uh, it shows you how mature I was back then. But I mean, digging trenches, putting down stormwater pipes, um, smoking uh, while I was at work, and you know, it was it was a guy who was a friend of my parents from the Romanian church that they would go into, and he ended up letting me go after a month, which I've got to say was the best thing that ever happened. One of the best things that happened to me because I ended up scoring a a place. At McDonald's, a full-time gig at Macca's from 16 years old. I was working full-time, earning about 300 bucks a week that I slowly saved and bought myself a car with. I had the money for saving and then I had money for my cigarettes. And that was my 300 and something dollars saved up. After about a year and a half of working at McDonald's, I, I realized, I mean, it only took me a year and a half, that this was a dead-end job. And I say that tongue-in-cheek, that it only took me a year and a half. I had a lot of fun at Mac, I made a lot of great friends and did a lot of funny stuff I kind of throughout my adolescence uh, at McDonald's. But moving back with, uh, with the story, I, I remember we'd, we'd moved homes at that time because of a lot of trouble that we'd gone in into in the area and yeah, people were had located us and we'd we'd almost get into a we got into a feud with a number of different people uh same same story as what landed us in court and my youth justice order but my parents thought it might be might be good to uh move move from where we were living to another place probably about 20 minutes away from that one and so we did, and uh, working at McDonald's, I uh, was still unpacking boxes at the bottom of the basement, and I remember walking downstairs uh, after working a year and a half or so in, at McDonald's, I was flicking through some of the boxes, it was bloody dusty, and the, the sunlight was shining through, I can still you know, picture this, but there was a box full of my brothers, my oldest brothers, uh, VCE textbooks and one of these vc textbooks you know thrown away the accounting and SOS and all that sort of stuff uh books there was one that was on psychology i think it was an introduction to psychology or psychology 101 it's a blue covered book with a 3d human uh face and a and a yellow brain behind the translucent head uh, I picked that one up, I dusted it off, I coughed a few times and uh, started to flick through it. Yeah. We're closing the flaps to the boxes, I made my way upstairs and I began to take that book to work with me and any chance I got on my 
breaks, I would highlight and learn new things about the brain and uh, figure figure the the way or why we are the way that we are. And I think that that's what got me onto the journey of trying to to say, hey, don't really want to be here at McDonald's. I'm gonna start putting my hand to study, and so. I decided to go back to school and I went back to a college uh, which did VCE, which was the Victorian Certificate of Education. Uh, I smashed through year 11 in six months and year 12 in a year. And uh, I I loved it. I I enjoyed it so much. And I got into uni. Uh, One of my first few preferences was Swinburne University of Technology. And I did an undergraduate Bachelor of Arts majoring in psychology and I had a co-major in sociology. Yep. Bloody well hated uh sociology was uh um uh, a mind numb. Uh a very leftist university and uh it was it almost seemed now that I look back at it, I didn't know at the time, but very ideological, uh very leftist and and very Marxist so to speak. There was even a Marxist club that were trying to get a whole bunch of people to sign on to. I remember walking past and a guy looks at me, hey, you want to sign up for this club about on Marx? And I have no idea what it was, but I remember saying, no, nah, I don't like Marx. Uh, and I had no idea. I, I knew a little bit about Marx and I didn't quite know the significance as much as I do now. Uh, but he was shocked that I, didn't like, that I didn't like the idea of Marx. He asked me to tell him why. And I was like, oh, just... I can't even remember what I said, actually, um, but it was a very flippant discussion, and so I walked off. Now, with, the, with sociology, I, I shifted that to philosophy, and I could really get into philosophy, apart from a really mind-numbing uh, course on environmental philosophy taught by, I'm not going to name him, but he, he was a, a tutor at, a lecturer at Swinburne, and uh, I had to I had to shift that one. And so I, I love to learn about you know, psychology, philosophy, and even philosophical psychology. And I really, really got a lot out of my university experience. I kept to myself mostly. And whenever I had time off, I would, uh, I would just go to the library and do my work and, and that sort of stuff, eating, eating tuna, garlic tuna sandwiches and I, th- I think I lived off garlic tuna sandwiches or avocado dip and bread rolls and Vegemite and cheese sandwiches throughout my uni days, even though I had to just travel there and back with my girlfriend at the time who was studying uh, at Swinburne as well. Uh, my my girlfriend at the time is now my wife and mother of my two children, which, God almighty, she is, uh, she has, is amazing. I mean, when it comes to where I'm at right now, if I hadn't, I hadn't had her supporting me, uh, you know, I'd be I'd be down in the dumps. But I guess what I'd do, moving moving from that, I completed my undergraduate in psychology, and then I I applied for an honors year, which was the next step for uh, to become a psychologist. Uh, but I didn't get a place. It was highly competitive, and you, know, you had over a thousand people who who would apply and you only have something like 30 to 60 spots and my grades just weren't up there. I think I was a 
I was a distinction average, which was around the 75% mark. And I would get some high distinctions, but my average was around the 70 mark. And that's it's been pretty consistent throughout my postgrad years because I went, ended up doing a graduate diploma in counseling. And that was something I heard from a few other people who were who hadn't gotten a place in the uh, the masters at the honors year, rather. And so I studied there at the Australian College of Applied Psychology, completed my, my counseling uh, graduate diploma, which I've got to say was the most practical thing I'd ever done. And you know, did did a bunch of placement at uh, a few different places. One was a Southern Migrant and Refugee Center in the southeast suburbs of Melbourne, and the other was at the Salvation Army, working with uh, addiction. However, damn, they were bloody uh, teachable moments. And after that, I went on to do my masters, which I think I I, mean, I was so over study at that time. I studied for over eight years, and kind of like going through and now uh, I've got 10 years of study back uh, in my back yeah, from a undergraduate in psychology to a graduate diploma in counseling to a master's in counseling and psychotherapy. I'm so glad to have everything behind me. In saying that, I went and studied uh, for my research project, my master's here under the tutelage of uh, Dr. Dennis O'Hara, which he really guided my hands in uh, kind of looking at a new and novel uh, trauma processing technique called radical exposure tapping, which was initially developed by a person called Laurie McKinnon. And that was, that made up part of my, my master's year, my master's uh, project, uh, which uh, eventually got peer reviewed and, and accepted into the Australian uh, Psychotherapy and Counseling Journal of Australia uh, back in 2019. And since then, I've, I've been writing, I've, I've written and, uh, you know, a bunch of books, uh, one of which is uh, on addiction and willpower called, uh, my gosh, it used to be called In My Own Strength, but I changed, changed the name to uh, Minding the Brain Towards Change. There, there we go. My brain's a bit slow this morning. Uh, it's morning where I'm at, but... What happened after that one is I started writing a book on trauma and the history of trauma, which I'm still working on now, and I'm actually on the second draft. But moving moving on the side, I took a side into a fictional book, a fictional account, which was which I called a Killer's God, which investigates a guy called Jason and his experiences during a drug-induced psychosis and hospitalization meets it. Uh, a girl called Eva, and it kind of follows their story around to uh, to a murder, and it's kind of like a psychological thriller, which at the moment is has been submitted for for publication, but hasn't been published yet. And I guess that kind of brings us where I'm at right now. Now I've studied, started this podcast to give give those who are interested a bit of a rundown on myself on the work that I do and as well as picking people uh people's brains on you know the human condition uh, I've I've loved podcasts since I was since I knew of them and I've benefited so much more so if I can give a little bit more on that a little bit to you guys that's that's my aim uh, I've been working 
uh, in therapy as a therapist for over seven years and seen over a thousand clients racked up countless hours of professional development and uh, and client hours, so to speak. I've worked uh, you know, at various drug courts and done so much training and, and helped uh, people on different correctional orders or drug treatment orders, um, voluntary people. I've worked in my own capacity as a pi- private uh, psychotherapist and done uh, delivered some trainings. And uh, these are all kind of little, you know, a cobweb of things that I've been involved in. But here I am you know, developing my own podcast to, to figure out how to integrate a lot of these learnings. Because so I want to keep this as as practical as humanly possible because I've re- released a whole bunch of very practical YouTube videos under uh, youtube.com forward slash Emilio Barna, E-M-I-L-I-O-B-A-R-N-A if you want to add some, some very practical psych-related uh, videos that range up to 10 minutes or so, uh, you know, check them there. But I'll, I will say that... I want to make this podcast practical. I want to ask very wide-ranging and wide-wide wide birth questions to the people that I interview, as well as the the types of topics that I cover. So sit back, relax, and I'll I'll see you in our upcoming episodes. Where uh, of the next few episodes, I will be picking uh, James Fallon's brain the neuroscientist on psychopathy, psychopath, sociopath, narcissist. Thank you for listening and I'll see you in episode one.